Legally Blonde, Suits, My Cousin Vinny. All badass lawyers, all different. Which begs the question, what type of lawyer do you want to be? Don't waste another second thinking, ugh, I don't even know what types of lawyers there are. Trust us, we've been there. Let's put a stop to that once and for all. Go take the 90-second quiz from new lawyer now what coach Angela Vorpal to give yourself a clear picture of the best fit type law for you. Go to www.whattypeoflawyerquiz.com and take the quiz today. Once you've taken the quiz, send us a DM on Instagram to let us know what type of lawyer you got. We can't wait to hear. to Ladies Who Law School podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week's episode is sponsored by Barcast Audio. For those of you who have been listening to us for a long time, aka since 2020, that's two years now, that which is crazy, you'll know that Barcast is the number one bar exam study tool you need to make sure the first time taking the bar exam is your last. Barcast offers audio outlines, audio flashcards, and essay attack sheets and uses powerful mnemonics to help you memorize the law wherever you go. Whether you're at the gym, out for a walk, or settling in for a long road trip, Barcast Audio can help you learn the law on your terms. All MBE subjects are now available and you can pre-order Barcast's complete MEE pack now to save $150 on your purchase. We have a special code just for listeners of our show. You can save 10% on your next Barcast purchase by using the code LADIES, L-A-D-I-E-S, at checkout. And this week's episode is sponsored by Adaptabar. Adaptabar is changing the way law students prepare for the bar exam with licensed MBE questions from the NCBE and patented adaptive technology that adjusts to each user's individual needs. Adaptabar's algorithm quickly learns your strengths and weaknesses to present you with questions accordingly. The performance tracking allows you to view your progress over time in every subject and subtopic. The program even determines your optimal time for answering each question so you know when you perform at your best. We both have downloaded the free trials and Haley has already gotten the actual Adaptabar program. So we've been playing a little bit with the questions and we can definitely say that you can tell there's a difference between a real NCB question and non-real NCB questions. So try it out for yourself. For a limited time, ladies who law school listeners can save $30 on the MB simulator and the rest of the prep program as well, including video lectures and flashcards by using code LWLS on westacademic.com at checkout. Today's episode, we have a very special guest. She is the founder of the Instagram merchandise page and the now very large group of Black Girls Do Law. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Destiny Williams. 
please help me welcome our guest from Black Girls Do Law, Miss Destiny Williams. Hi, Destiny. How are you? I'm doing good, ladies. How are y'all doing? We're doing well. So, Destiny, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, I am currently in North Carolina. I... I say I'm from North Carolina. I'm actually a military brat. So I was born in Germany, but I lived in North Carolina from 1994 until I left for law school in 2014. So I am a North Carolina girl. I attended East Carolina University for undergrad from 2007 to 2011. I majored in criminal justice with a minor in political science, took three years off, and then went to law school. I'm a wife and a mom of a crazy little boy. I I tell people I was not one and done with the bar, but I am one and done with children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a cute little adorable little boy. And right now I'm a work from home mom. Black Girls Do Law is what I do. So that pretty much sums it up. In my free time, I like to travel, read, you know, the regulars. Love it. All right. So let's talk a little bit. I want to touch on your undergrad a little bit. So do you think that criminal justice and then having a poli-sci minor like gave you an idea of what you wanted to like go to law school or help in law school at all? Because a lot of people ask, you know, like, what should I major in? Right. So first of all, through Black Girls Do Law, I have had the privilege to sit down and talk with a multitude of like law school admissions people. Like I really like to go straight from the source because otherwise I'm kind of like just pulling stuff out of my butt. Like, okay, yeah, you could do this. You should major in that. But uh, you know, for those listening who have not decided on a major, I want to change your major. The major doesn't matter. I don't think I had an upper hand um, by being a criminal justice, poli sci, whatever. I actually learned from quite a few law school administration people. They like, diversity and not in just race and gender. They like people who are have nursing degrees and biology degrees and music degrees. Like they like diversity everywhere. So like the, the, the degree part doesn't matter. I did have two professors that I can tell they were lawyers. And I didn't realize it. I mean, while I was an undergrad, the undergrad I went to was voted Playboy's number one party school in America when I went. So <laughs> I wasn't even, I was born with a strict black military daddy, I was just trying to go to the party school. But looking back at it, um, my criminal law professor and my constitutional law professor, I can tell they were lawyers. I was briefing cases. Our textbook was an actual casebook. I feel like if anything, their two classes, had I really been dedicated and paying attention, um, would have set me up. I remember <laughs> if Dr. Evans' case is by any chance listening to this, I remember taking her first exam and that is probably the closest thing to a law school exam. Like I knew what I was doing in constitutional law. And I think I got a D on my first test. And I was like, I don't think I should go to law school because Dr. Evans case is killing me. But um, she, I feel like maybe those two classes, I do tell people if your undergrad has a, a writing class where there's any kind of blue booking they should do that, if anything, because, you know, we did like, what, 16 years of APA and MLA. And then once you go to law school, you'll never use it again. So I do think if I would have taken a class that had blue booking or legal research, that would have given me the upper hand. 
But besides that, I mean, I had classmates that had degrees in everything. Yeah, absolutely. So remind us again where you went to law school and tell us, you know, why. Okay, so I went to the Howard University School of Law. I decided to go to Howard because (laughs) I grew up with a very, very whitewashed um, upbringing. I think my middle and high school had about like 5% Black student population. I grew up in a neighborhood where the street next to mine is Plantation Drive. Um, In high school, I was the only Black cheerleader. Then I went to ECU. That's about 15% Black. And um, I remember reading this quote that went something around like, Black students or Black people should really try to attend an HBCU because you have your whole life of being the only Black or Brown face in a room, and you deserve that time where you're not the minority. And so I started law school at the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement. I knew that a lot of the topics were going to be uncomfortable. They had At the time, I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. They had the clinic that I wanted. The bar passage rate looked good. It was out of North Carolina, but not too far north because I do not do snow. Um, (laughs) And D.C. is a very diverse um, city. So I just wanted a very diverse city where everybody doesn't look alike. Absolutely. That's a great reason. So once you got to Howard, you know, what did you get involved in? Tell us a little bit about that. And then tell us about maybe your first year. Like, how did how how was that? So. First year is a, now that I'm now that I'm so far removed from law school because I was a one L in 2014. What's that like seven seven years ago now? I think when you're in the thick of law school, you're like, oh my god, it sucks. It's like you're just walking in molasses. It's like you're not getting anywhere. You're just lost. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you don't know. But I feel like one L year is like a haze. I feel like us lawyers and two Ls and three Ls and we make people think it's really, really rough, really, really horrible. And it's like speaking things into existence. Like I'm looking back at it and I'm like, I really made it harder than what it needed to be. (laughs) If you get your time management down, you're good. And um, this is one of my tips. I know you guys told me to ask about my tips. One of my tips is also like, don't change up how you learn and study. And I think that's where a lot of us go wrong. I know that's where I went wrong. I am a vampire. I I had to take medicine to put me to sleep at like 11 to get me to torts by nine. Because if not, my body does not naturally fall asleep until like 3 a.m. And so without that, I won't get any sleep. And so on the weekends, I like to sleep until 10, 11. I am not a regular adult. I think I got up at 1030 today. But all of my best friends, all my classmates, they were at the library at eight o'clock in the morning studying. And so I'm like, everybody else is studying on a Saturday at eight o'clock in the morning. Let me go study on a Saturday at eight o'clock in the morning. No, I'm good and well. I do not like to exist at eight o'clock in the morning. I was just there like a zombie. I wasn't getting anything done. I wasn't retaining any information. I think that's one of my biggest mess ups. As soon as I reverted back to vampirism too well year, Grades shot up, mental health shot up. So I also don't like to study in groups. I I don't think I really studied at the library at all 2L and 3L year. Not unless it was like killing time in between classes. But like on the weekends, I like to study in my house, 
with my bra off, comfortable with my dog, with my bathroom. Like I like my space. And they got me paying $1,500 a month to live in a little box in DC. And I felt like I needed to study in my expensive apartment. (laughs) In your expensive box. And then like Howard's um, library, it was always cold. I'm anemic. So now I'm freezing. Like I just, it wasn't comfortable for me. So um, had I just stuck to how I learned and my own sleep schedule and my own time management and not compared myself to my classmates, one a year could have been so much easier. Yeah, no, for sure. So what would you say was one of your biggest accomplishments while you were in law school? It's probably not like an accomplishment. Like you guys probably like, oh, you know, I was on journal. I was on law review. I One of my biggest accomplishments to me is like I really stayed true to myself. I had no interest in journal. I had no interest in law review, moot court trial ad. I didn't do any of that. And I just, (laughs) and I either. So don't think, yeah, so we get it. That was an accomplishment to me because I was talked to a lot of my classmates who were like, oh, I'm in journal and I'm miserable. And I'm like, well, why did you join? Oh, because that's what you do. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, um, I'm about to go watch law and order. So I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I didn't do that. I I went to the journal like interest meeting and I talked to my mom afterwards and she was like, why did you go to that? You've never talked to me about this. Why? What are you doing? That's not even what you want to do. And I'm like, you're right. I'm doing it because I feel like I'm supposed to do it. I also started a crafting business in law school. My two year, like the custom wine glasses and coffee mugs and things y'all see on Etsy. I did that two year. I love it. Just entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I love it. And I really just like how, you know, you highlighted that you kept true to yourself Mm -hmm. and you didn't, you know, join the journal because you thought you had to. And like, we have like that same mentality, like do what's going to make you happy. I also liked how you said that you didn't change up your studying methods, you know, like. I, we always tell people like, do what's best for you. What someone else does may not work for you. If, you know, if they're mm-hmm. doing group sessions, like you don't have to do that just because everybody else is. So I right. really like that, you know, it's just, and, a, it's just nice. And one else study groups that, that ain't nothing but the blind leading the blind anyway. So, I mean, I wouldn't put too much stock into it because, you know, the gunners and people who are just very, very confident, you know, they will say, Anything. <laughs> anything with the most confidence and you're already self-doubting your, you're already doubting yourself so you're probably like oh my god I had this wrong this whole time like I would never forget my first my very first class of contracts my professor she always liked to ask you know Miss Mees or Miss Mr. Such and Such who prevailed in this case and like I read that case like a hundred times. I have the most ridiculous brief you've ever seen. It's probably like 12 pages long. I dissected it. I already heard that Professor Terry don't play. So I was ready. And she called on my classmate and he was like the defendant. And I was like, what? That's no, that is not what I have in my notes. Like everybody in the classroom was perplexed. And she asked him again. And he was like, it was a defendant. He was so confident and loud. And wrong. So <laughs> the defendant did not prevail in that case. She's like, but, appreciate your confidence. But right. yeah. <laughs> but he had every single person in the classroom questioning what they did, what they studied, and what they wrote because he said it was so much confidence. But it's the blind leading the blind. We, 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 you go ahead and put a lot of stock in them one else study groups if you want to. 
Oh my gosh. That reminds me when we were first starting law school, we had a study group and we were, you know, going through practice questions, stuff like that. And I think it was Haley, you, you know, said the answer. And one of the members goes, that's not right. Haley was right. You know, like, it's like just just, people are just so, I think it, we could talk all day about it. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think too, you know, we talk a lot about, and we have shared a lot about on the podcast about studying in groups and studying with people. And we talk about having a support system, but I think it should definitely be said that sometimes those people around you aren't always the best, right? And sometimes they are dragging you down and leading you down a path. And sometimes you're only going to know or get as far as the people around you and the tools that you use. So if you're using these people who are brand new to it, even though they seem super confident, it's not always the case. We'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers, Audible. Yes, Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies, and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime. Speaking of thrillers, I know you are currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go. And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money, My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management. What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go. Whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing. So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not. I, um, I do tell people, if you're going to study in a group, either... If you're going to study with your friends, it needs to be a type of friend circle where y'all are disciplined and y'all can focus. See, me and my law school besties, like, we were like this cute little family, and um, three out of five of us were, like, babies, straight from undergrad to law school. And then it was me. They called me, like, the auntie. And then my friend Rochelle, you know, she's, like, a year and a half older than me, so we call her Nana, like, you know, like the grandma. But we were just... We would be in the library for three, four, five hours, and then I would get home. We'd be laughing and joking and singing, and then I would get home, and my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he would call me, and I'm like, well, I got to go. I got to go study, and he was like, weren't you just in the library studying? I was like, yeah, but Rochelle and Victoria and I, we were talking the whole time. I didn't get anything done, so now I got to study all the stuff I was supposed to be doing in the library. No, I absolutely um, get that 100%. 
So tell us, um, what was your first job out of law school? So I'm also very untraditional in what I did after law school. I suffered severe depression my third year of law school, and I did not have it in me to take the bar right outside of law school. So um, I graduated May 2017. I didn't sit for the bar for the first time until July 2018, so 14 months. And I sat for the bar the first time at 30 weeks pregnant. Yes, in North Carolina heat, that was a lot of fun. (laughs) So um, I actually, I started working for one of my old attorneys. She's a social security attorney. And so I used to write like her disability briefs and stuff, 2L and 3L years. So I was still working for her um, right when I had graduated. And then um, I basically freelanced writing briefs until after I passed the bar, actually. I think the last time I wrote a brief, for another attorney was February, 2021. So yeah, I did it. I passed the bar in 2019. So I also, I had, 2018 was a wild ride. We can save that for, if y'all want to do a part two episode, that's an episode (laughs) in itself. I worked at another law firm. I think I worked there for like three weeks. It was, it was probably my, it's the only job I have ever walked out of with no notice, no nothing. Like I, they were like the most micro managing people. And then I had found out that I was pregnant and they were stressing me out. And I was like, I got to go. Y'all not about to stress me into a miscarriage. So um, I just had like a lot of paralegal positions until I started Black Girls Do Law. I haven't practiced yet. I was going to start practicing when my son turned 18 months and he turned 18 months, March, 2020. So (laughs) that was not a great, wasn't a great time to put him in daycare. Daycares are disgusting on a regular day. So I've just been hustling with Black Girls Do Law ever since. I love that. So let's back up a little bit. You said that after you graduated, you did not take the bar. So tell us, you said you wrote briefs and different things like that. How did you get into doing that work? And, you know, some people might not take the bar ever. What, you know, what are those? Yes. I have classmates that, yes, I have classmates that still have not taken the bar. Um, A lot of people do JD preferred jobs. Not everybody goes to law school to practice law. Um, I think that's another really common, you know, misconception. Like you don't, you know, you're not a lawyer, but, you know, you, you just have a JD. But um, I got into writing disability briefs because from January 2012 to the month or week before I left for law school in July 2014, I worked for a Social Security law firm. And um, he, the attorney there, he would like, he had like 10,000 Social Security uh, pay, uh, clients. So, he was like one of those social security law firms. And so I was working there full time, but then I was working at Olive Garden part time because Olive Garden was my undergrad job. But then he was like, hey, do you want to write social security briefs for me for $50 per brief, you know, after work? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I would literally be writing like $500 worth of briefs every week, plus my Olive Garden money, plus my law firm money. Didn't save any of that money for law school. Also, zero L's, save your money because you're going to be broke. (laughs) I spent it all on shoes, had to get rid of half the shoes before I went to law school. So that's how I I got into um, Social Security briefs. The lawyer 
that worked for him started her own law firm at the end of my 1L year. And then she and I maintained a close friendship. And so when she started her own law firm, I reached out to her and said, hey, can I write your briefs? Because I'm a 1L and I'm broke. And I have a judicial internship this summer and that pays absolutely nothing. And and that's how I just continue to do it. I would Google social security disability attorneys, reach out to them, ask them, do they need a brief writer? And that's, I think I ended up writing briefs for about two or three different attorneys. Wow. And you said some of that was during law school. Yes. So I worked for Michelle, my 2L and 3L year. And then I worked as a virtual paralegal for another attorney in Maryland. Her name was Elsa. I worked for her for 3L year. So 2L year Michelle, 3L year Michelle and Elsa. I did law school and then I had my crafting business. And this is why I was not on journal, moot court, trial ad or anything. Yeah, you were doing your own stuff. I love it. You you kept busy though. You know, it just wasn't with these typical things that people say you have to do in law school. Okay. I have a question because I feel like if I had been doing briefs like 1L, like even prior to that, like I wouldn't know what to do. So like, how did you, did you just learn from, you know, the attorneys that they give you samples? Like, how did you learn to write briefs? Because I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't get that legal writing experience till 1L. Yes. So they're called briefs, but so a social security brief is not like a brief that we're used to for law schools. It's really like me running, reading through hundreds of pages of their medical records. And like, I'm making the argument that these people are disabled, but I'm also summarizing hundreds, if not sometimes thousands. I think the biggest file I had was like 5,000 pages of medical records. So I'm condensing all those medical records down to, you know, a a summary for the attorney. Because like I said, he had 10,000 social security clients. And so he might have 10 hearings in one day. He's not going to read 10,000 pages of medical records. So um, my boss, Tracy, at the time, she recruited like all of us from Olive Garden, like half the Olive Garden staff was working at this law firm. And um, she was the brief writer at first. And then his Law firm continued to grow, and then that's she. She then showed me how to write the briefs. Like he had a general template, which is what we have in the practice of law, and then you just kind of plug and play and adjust it per um, client. Okay, so after law school, you worked. And did you continue to do the briefs and be a virtual assistant? Yes. Yeah, so I think I eventually stopped writing briefs for Michelle. Like fall, winter 2017, I ended up getting a job. What was that? Like June 20, I had my kid when 2018, June, 2018, I ended up getting a job at a company. It was a month before the bar and they wanted somebody full time. And I was like, if y'all can just work with me, you know, for the next month, let me come in from eight to two. And then, you know, I can go home and study from three to whenever because I'm a vampire, yada, yada, yada. Um, I took off, you know, the bar is on a Tuesday, Wednesday. I took off that Friday and Monday to go hard for the bar. While I was gone, they decided they didn't need me to return. But the company, the hiring, the company that hired me for them, she was like, I'm not going to tell her two days before the bar that she doesn't have a job to come back to. And so I took the bar Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, 
went back to work on Thursday thinking I had a full-time job with full benefits. I'm nine weeks from my due date and everybody is looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, why are y'all looking at me? Like, am I, did my water break? What's going on? And they're looking at me because they announced last Friday that I wasn't coming back. So they're probably looking at me like, is she mad? Is she going to shoot up the, yeah, um, what's going the, on? Yeah. So I really, I have no proof of it. I don't think they wanted to deal with me and maternity leave and everything because I had did some research and they had posted my position like on Indeed and stuff like mid-July. So they replaced me, but they didn't need me. But so then I just stopped working. I had Julian through a very complicated labor emergency C-section in September and then Another disability attorney that I had reached out to like a year prior, he was like, hey, you still trying to write briefs? And I'm like, hey, I just had a baby. So, yeah. And so from October 2018 until February 2021, I still wrote briefs. And I got to work home from home and I got to, you know, he was a lawyer. He was very understanding. And um, I got to see Julian's first steps, first words, first crawls, every appointment. Like I was at everything. Um, and so it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. I was about to say that kind of works out perfect because, you know, those are the formative years and, you know, the years that you want to be able to see everything and you did get to do that. And it wasn't really a transition then when, you know, a pandemic started and all that, you were just like, oh, well, let's keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. That's a blessing and a curse Mm because by the time y'all had quarantined for six months, I was like knocking on two years from working from home. And I'm sitting here like, I've been quarantined 18 months longer than all of y'all. Like I am ready to go. I miss, I'm a very extroverted person. Like I miss people. And um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a blessing. It was a struggle because he, Julian did not sleep through the night until he was 21 months. So I didn't pass the bar July, 2018. So I had to retake it and I'm up every three hours with him. He gave up bottles. Nobody told me babies do that. So I was exclusively breastfeeding and writing briefs. It was a lot. So you took it again. When did you take the bar again? I sat for February 2019, which was the first time that North Carolina administered the UBE. The first bar I took was state specific. So I had to like erase all that North Carolina law out of my brain and like reset and then take the UBE. And yeah. So... I, you know, we're going to be taking the UBE and they just recently switched from the state bar to the UBE. So now you got to take both. So from your experience, you know, is what one easier than the other? Yeah. Or is like, or, or, you know, just tell us because we don't know. Give us the insight. <laughs> the so, so for me, the UBE was easier than the state specific only because I went to school in DC. And so I didn't learn North Carolina law. And so We did the MBE part, the 200 multiple choice questions, which we all know that's based on general law. But then North Carolina, they didn't do the MPT. So we only had, it was 12 freaking North Carolina essays. And then the next day was a 200 UBE multiple choice questions. I'm trying to not use all the acronyms because you might have some baby law students who are probably like, UBE, MTP, AABC, like what is this? So, um... That sucked. 12 12 essays, and they were all North Carolina law. So the UBE was way easier. And I 
you know, that's basically like what I studied all three years at Howard, because when you go to Howard, you go to, you take, most of us go to New York, but we're also in North Carolina, Florida, Texas, California, the DMV, we're like everywhere. So Howard doesn't teach a specific like state law. So most of the people I take the bar with in North Carolina, they've been studying North Carolina law for three years. I had to learn North Carolina law in like a few months. So, so that was worked out really well. I think Yeah, I am that, team UB. Yeah, that's awesome. So ever since you have been working and doing black girls do law. So tell us how you got started with that and what made you start it. And yeah, give us the details. So at first when I started Black Girls Do Law, I kind of wanted it to be more like a like a t-shirt like like situation. When I found out I passed the bar, I wanted to be extra and take my little cute pictures. And then like I went on Etsy looking for like stuff for me and it's like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor are like Black Lawyers Matter. Like there was nothing for Black women. You know, it was either all women lawyer stuff or um, you know, black lawyers matter stuff. And I love me some Thurgood and some Ruth and some Sonia. Like I love them, but none of them are me. And um, I came up with the idea in law school, but I was doing too much. So I was like, this ain't the time. And, um, you know, I had lost that one job. I was still writing the briefs. I was still, still at home with Julian. And I was like, I'm gonna start it now. And so that's what made me start it. And then People were like, oh, are you going to do events? Like, there's only 10 Black women across all three classes at my law school. I would love to go to an event in D.C. and things like that. And I was like, okay, guys, I'll do events. Okay, y'all want to do trips. Okay, Mm y'all want planners. I'm like, all right, now, y'all asking for a lot. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, it it, it makes me happy. I don't feel like I'm working. Absolutely. Do you think that it's kind of a creative outlet and ties in to the crafting and that part of the business that you, I mean, whenever you said I wanted to start it in law school, my thought was you kind of did in a sense, right? I did. I actually have, I actually have headshots of me from November, 2016. That's my two L year of me, like holding a coffee mug that I made that says black girls do law on it. So like, it was my vision in, um, in law school, but I just did not have, the time, like I said, I was working for Michelle and Elsa and depression and all the other stuff. Like I just, I I mean, whenever you talk about starting a business, especially one that has inventory and you're selling actual products, you know, people are like, Oh, just start it up. And you're like, that takes a lot more than just my, my blood, sweat and tears. Cause trust me, I've done that, (laughs) you know? So I totally understand. And I think it's great what you've done. So and I love it because we totally understand like looking for cute merchandise and looking for cute and being extra and all the law things. So I love that you have filled that. Uh, this week, as we're recording, there are the Senate hearings on the Supreme Court appointee, hopefully future justice, hopefully when this comes out. Uh, Miss Katanji Brown Jackson. So let's talk about that and talk about diversity. I mean, you just said that there were girls reaching out to you that were like, there's only 10 black girls in my whole law school class. Like, 
I think this is huge. Yeah. It is huge. And y'all know, like, my inner Black girl is screaming. Like, I'm so excited. I'm about to be really petty. Y'all can feel free to cut this out if y'all want to. But, like, it's time. We have not had a Black Supreme Court justice since Thurgood Marshall. Because <laughs> we know we don't claim Clarence. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is time. We do need more representation. And, like, I just, I feel like if... If Steve Harvey on Family Feud asked 100 Americans and they were like, picture a person. And if you think of diversity and inclusion, like what person do you see? And I think that most of the time people would be like, oh, black women, Latino women or women in general. But um, as excited as I am that she's, you know, up for nomination, we still it still has more work to do. We need more more diversity because outside of her being a black woman, you know, she's very on par with the rest of the 115 justices. She's a cisgender, heterosexual woman. She went to Harvard. She's a Protestant. She's over the age of 50. And so, like, literally, besides her being a Black woman, she, everything else is really the same, if you think about it. Like, um, I did some research, and I, like, looked into the background of, like, all the 115 other justices, majority of them, I bought my little chart out. <laughs> so the majority of Americans, adult Americans, were between the ages of 18 and 44. Like 70% of the Supreme Court justices, they all retire at over the age of 65. We don't have any atheists or agnostics. We don't have any Muslim. We don't have anybody who's part of the LGBTQIA plus community like you know, we don't have Middle Eastern, Indigenous, Pacific Islander. You know, it's 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 beautiful that she's breaking and shattering all these ceilings. But 94% of SCOTUS has been straight cisgender white men. And so I'm really hoping that we get more diversity. Like, like everybody doesn't have to go to Harvard or Yale. Everybody, you know, same-sex marriage passed in 2015, but that was a decision made by nine heterosexual people like that decision had no effect on their life at all had it gone the other way it would have not affected them like at all and so I just feel like we love to call ourselves this melting pot but the court the nine people that decide the rights for everybody is not a melting pot so I'm so excited I'm so happy she's definitely needed um but I'm hoping in the future we can get more diversity I absolutely agree. And I think that it will only help in the eyes of normal melting pot Americans, like you said, uh, it will help with the legitimacy of the court, right? In the way that they see it. Because I think whenever it's just a bunch of people standing from a pulpit telling you what to do, it just, at a point, you kind of just turn around yeah, and quit like, listening. Is it credible? Yeah. And also, like, right. I just think it's not represent, it doesn't represent our country. Exactly. Really? You yeah. know, like, we're so much more, and we always talk about like, oh my gosh, these all these old white men don't, like need to get out of the government. Like, yeah. what like, are we doing? You know, in these like, hearings. And that's they, what I've been thinking. And they, you know, and we were saying, you know, they all do go to Harvard, Yale, like the all top Ivies, and it's like, yeah, it, it might be diverse, but there are a lot more facets to that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. and I also think like a lot of like regular non legal lawyer people or people that might not be like too hip to like politics. I don't think like a lot of people know what the Supreme court really does. 
even though I, you know, majored in criminal justice with a minor in political science, I don't think I really, really understood their importance until law school. Like, these are nine people who make the decisions for everybody, for absolutely everybody. And it's like, you know, they're saying, oh, her being black and her being a woman shouldn't matter. And like, yes, it does, because, you know, justices and judges they make decisions based on their opinion. They literally say such and such offer the opinion for the court. It's an opinion. And opinions are based on our life experiences and, and our own religion and our own relationships, right? Like Thurgood Marshall fought for racial equality because he's a black man. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for uh, gender equality because she's a woman. Like old white men, they don't have any like stake in a lot of the decisions. Like what Honestly, is there? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like anything to do with a woman. You cannot talk at this point. You exactly. Know? I don't tell men yeah. how to stand up and pee. Like, so why? Like, I don't, <laughs> and I just, <laughs> we can do a whole different I know. episode I yeah, on like, this. Go it's in, like, like, don't get us on our soapbox. Oh okay? my goodness. Like <laughs> it, it could be, the whole thing could be abolished for all I care or put some term limits up there or something because. Yeah. I think there's I, a lot of questions about it. And I also think, you know, you were saying like most people don't really understand the Supreme court. Yeah. And one of the things that we really like to talk about is just like making the law more accessible to people, yeah. you know, so people can understand, yeah. you know, what is our system? Like, what are the rights, you know, all yeah. these things that, how does this actually affect me? Because I think, like you said, so many people don't know what the Supreme court does. I sure as heck didn't until I got to law school. And I think you realize like, wow, these people are deciding if I can go out and marry a woman. Like when you think about that, that's so huge and so impactful. And right. it's like, we owe our fellow people a service of helping them understand this and help them, helping them realize like how important it is. But you know, going back to the subject about diversity and her being the first black woman, I think it also comes into play when we were talking about, you know, privilege in a sense, right? That, you know, she grew up in the DC area. She went to Harvard undergrad. She went to Harvard law school and, you know, the other candidates that were in the running, you know, uh, one of them went to a public law school in South Carolina and, you know, she was on, she wasn't, she wasn't on the top. And I think that, that we still have a long ways to go. The yeah, point for I saying all we, that is... I think we look at um, these like IVs as like, you know, the end all be all. Yeah. And they have been for a long time. Y'all, I'm trying to be professional on y'all's podcast. Don't get me started <laughs> about these IVs. I literally, like, I'm writing a blog about it right now because even though we have a 101 HBCUs, and for anybody who's listening, an HBCU is a historically black college university. And an HBLS is a historically black law school. We have 101 HBCUs. We only have six HBLSs. Howard, UDC, FAMU, um, Thurgood Marshall, who am I missing? Um, Southern and North Carolina Central. We only have six. And they're all, the most Western one is um, in Texas. So if you want to go to an HBCU, you got to come over here. <laughs> and an HBCU is never going to be a top law school. It's, it's, it's just not. And if Howard changed their median LSAT score from a 155 to a 170, Harvard and Yale, they're just going to move theirs from 170 to 174. They're just going to keep moving the goalposts because we were never supposed to be at the top. And I did like, 
the the ranking system for U.S. News for law school rankings they they consider the amount of debt that students graduate with. Black students graduate with an average of two hundred thousand dollars in debt. White students graduate with an average of one hundred thousand dollars in debt. So if Howard is eighty eight percent black and Harvard is five percent black, who do you think is going to have the most debt? Why is debt even being factored into and to the ranking, what does it have Seriously. to do with whether or not the law school is doing what? On, at the same <sighs> time, like, so we definitely know just, you know, I'm sure you've talked to a bunch of people from different law schools and so have we. And the curriculum is pretty much the same everywhere you go. That's why you can literally take the bar, UBE, it's all the same. Exactly. It's, so it's, like, it's the same. It's I had like to tell the people. Same, yeah. People really buy into the rankings, the, the rankings and yeah. I have to be sometimes um, – you know, a little, like, like you said, professional, but also upfront about it. And, you know, it's realized like people can buy their way on any list. So you need to decide where you want to go based on where you can get in and how you feel when you go there. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. And, and you, and I just to tie it all up, it's really like you make your law school experience. You can make your career. You are, you get to choose that and you get to fulfill the experience however you want to. So like, who cares about rankings? Exactly. I know. I have to break it down to people and be like, you don't, the upper hand that you get for attending an Ivy is um, like the network, but you have a network at any law school. I was like, Harvard and Yale people, they don't get a special bar. We all sit down for the same exact bar. They don't get a special law license. They don't get a special, you know, if they take the bar and they're two points short of passing, you know, the bar examiners don't say, oh, but they went to Harvard. So let's give them the two points. No, you will not pass. Just like Michelle Obama went to an Ivy and did not pass the first time. You don't, you don't get an upper hand. Like this one girl on TikTok, she made a video because she goes to Georgetown, but somebody assumed she went to Howard and like she had like kind of felt some type of way, like how dare you assume that I'm black and in DC and I went to the blackest law school. But like people in the comments were like, that's actually an insult because Howard is work is ranked like number 90. And I'm like, and my best friends from Howard are making two hundred thousand dollars a year at Big Law, just like your friend at Harvard. Like, I'm not understanding why did they not pass the same bar? Did we gotta we got a like remedial right bar, now. like <laughs> I know. We, we could literally have a whole episode about oh, how games are and just the like, stigma. I really the, think what stigma. it boils down it's to is that it's just a way to like literally, I think, put people in in their place. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an elitist. It's a system I, built on elitism. You. I have to find a way to make me better than you, since you know now that women and minorities can practice. Now I have to find a way that puts me higher than you. So let's create this system based on ridiculous factors. I encourage people to look up the factors. Literally preach. I know because people are in the comments and saying things and they're in everybody's law talk and Instagram law comments saying things like that. And whenever you go to see who those people are, they're not in law school. So, I mean, don't even, like, go there with me. And it's also, like, to get into law school, like, the LSAT, I mean, we could also talk about that. I think that is, you know, how is one test supposed to determine, like, how good you are? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Because when you – 
the law schools are ranked the way they are because of like how hard it is to get into it. But it doesn't say anything about once you get into it. Like, I promise you, if y'all offer Kaplan to everybody for free, LSAT prep, offer LSAT prep to everybody for free or private tutoring for everybody for free. I bet you that meeting LSAT score for minorities jump up. A lot of black people self-study for the LSAT because we don't have the resources to afford Kaplan or to afford a private tutor. I knew a girl, her mom spent $8,000 on a private LSAT tutor. Like, I'm not saying that's the reason why you got a 170. I'm just saying, girl, it's easier to do that when you have these resources. So, yeah, the LSAT and the bar, like, honestly, y'all can y'all can do away with both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, we always talk about it. It's just, yeah, gatekeeping at every single step. It's like even like when you're about to take the bar, right? Like right after, let's say for us, mm-hmm. right after we graduate, like we have to figure out how to pay to live and like, you know, all the things that come with it. And it's like, what if we don't have any help, you know? Yeah. And I think it, we can sum this all back up at the beginning of the conversation and uh, talking about how there's a lot of old white men in, you know, political positions and in the Supreme Court for a very long time. And I think it's because, just like you said, uh, we have entered uh, what used to be and what we are trying to break down an elitist society. Being a professional, being a lawyer, uh, even being a lady lawyer is taking it one step, but being a black lady lawyer is a whole nother step. And I think ultimately we are feeling those growing pains. We see them every day. And it really, like we said, it it feels good to see it changing, but we still have a lot of work to do. And I think that we are just, you know, us three right here are in the process of trying to change that. And I just can't wait for like when we're 50 and we've been practicing for like 20, 30 years and to see all the little babies working. And I just hope that they're just a bunch of, Diverse. It's all diverse. I, I yes. want them to be in court with nose rings and tattoos and, and braids down to their butt. Yes. Hot pink shoes. I want yes. y'all to show up in court looking like Elle Woods for real, for real. Oh yeah. Because Everybody's these boomers, version. yeah, these boomers, they stressing me out. Like, I'm just like, y'all mm. are tripping. I got people emailing me. Oh my God, I really want to get a tattoo. I'm like, girl, I got nine. I mean, what do you want to do? I really yeah. want to wear my hair like this, girl. Do Straighten it. your hair for the interview and then come back with your purple braids if you want to. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what to tell you. You're yeah. either going to water yourself down to fit in or you're going to be you and, and take a gamble. Um, I always tell people of any race, if your name is ethnic or complicated, I don't. I'll, my name is easy. It's destiny. It's really easy. My mom is an HR guru. So when she picked out our names, she thought. She said, I don't want anybody to know my kid is black till they show up to the interview. So I have a very easy name, but I went to school with a lot of Nigerian Americans and they shortened their name or, you know, like Asian Americans, like, you know how people get your nails done? Yeah. Oh, what's your name? They'll give you their Americanized name. No, like, what is, what is your name? I want to learn your name. I can learn how to say it. I'm country. It might take me a couple of times, but <laughs> I can get there. I don't shorten my, don't shorten your name for anybody unless you want to. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't do things for the convenience of others because they're not doing anything to be convenient for me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, that's but, a great way to think about it. So tell us, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, 
into every little thing that we've talked about. You know, I feel like the one thing I'm dying to know is what is your biggest tip for the black lady lawyer? You know, what do you say in a situation, in not a situation, excuse me, in a world where law is very whitewashed? I think like I've been code switching my whole life. Y'all know what code switching is? Okay, so in your, in some of your listeners might not know either. So code switching is when minorities, especially black people, we have like two different like personas. When I'm at work, hi, how are you doing? My name is Destiny Williams, da 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 right? But then when, when I'm out with girls, I'm like, hey girl, da 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 I speak in, um, you know, African-American vernacular English, like we're very relaxed. We, it's like our super professional like voice. And I like, if... If you want to code switch, that's fine. Do whatever makes you feel better. But I am very pro. And as an entrepreneur, I feel like I have the privilege to say this. And I know everybody doesn't have that privilege. But I remain authentically you. And if you don't feel like code switching, then don't. You know, you can speak professionally when you're in court. But when you're with your coworkers at your job, you should be able to be comfortable. I'm not speaking proper grammar, English, whatever, while I'm talking to you, while we're just in the workroom. I'm going to wear my hair the way I want to wear it. Don't ask me about it. (laughs) I don't feel the need to explain things. Oh, well, you know, I remember I said something one time and somebody was like, oh, can you explain that to me? I was like, no, I'm not your assistant. Alexa, Siri, and Google have all the answers. Go ask one of them. I'm not, you know, I'm just okay with being authentically me. Um, a lot of us really fear being like the mad black woman, but if you get on my nerves, like I will cuss you out. (laughs) I cussed out who is now one of my very close friends. Like when I started working at my law firm job after undergrad, I remember she popped her head up over my cuticle and she was like, she was getting on my nerves for like a week. She's like, well, what you need to do is, I said, no, what you need to do is get up out of my cubicle and quit telling me what I need to do. The only thing I need to do is stay black and die. So you need to go over there and mind your business because I can get fired, honey, because I got another job at Olive Garden. So how you want to do this? And we've been best friends ever since. <laughs> Keeping it real. That. Yeah, because I feel like that is the lesson of the podcast. If, yes. And if anyone's getting anything out of this, mm-hmm. it's to be authentic. <laughs> yes. Be yourself all the way Because you're through. going to be exhausted. Like, I yeah. know... I know future Justice Brown Jackson is exhausted. I've been watching her confirmation hearing and I see her. She is so annoyed. They're asking her all these ridiculous questions. Meanwhile, Amy Barrett didn't even know the five rights granted to us in the First Amendment. And I'm like, it's, it is exhausting. And like, I'm praying for her mental health because I, I feel like she's going to get it. But being a trailblazer is hard. I'm not trying to break glass ceilings for nobody because I don't want to be exhausted. Like, I ain't trying to... The court is six to three right now. I am not. I'm so glad she got <laughs> Sonia in there because I'm not trying to be around y'all. No. And I know as a black woman being in the same room with Clarence Thomas, no. I don't know how the Supreme Court worked, but it seems exhausting. I just, I pray for her mental health. Bless her heart, as we like to yeah. say in Texas, right? Yes. Bless <laughs> her heart. Because it couldn't be me. I'd be at that confirmation hearing like, why are you asking me that? Like, I know. <laughs> what is that like, Wait, did you just really sleep. ask her that? I would just right. sit there like. But ask her, do you remember this case? And she'd be like, no, I don't. Well, can you? And then ask a detailed question about the case. She said she just did not remember. Like, I've only been watching it in clips to protect my own mental health because I'm like, y'all getting on my nerves. 
Yeah, no, I, that's so, exactly what my mom said too. So <laughs> I think so there's just, a lot of Americans that are like, can I watch the highlight reel on uh, the news or YouTube or something? Because I can't handle all these questions. So I totally get it. Destiny, tell everyone where they can find you after this episode, after they listen, where they can follow you at. Okay. I just have one other thing to add to your last question, if that's okay. Um, also, women in general, but especially obviously black women, don't gatekeep. Don't gatekeep in law school. Share your outline. The curve is going to be the curve. You sharing your outline with somebody is not going to be the deciding factor if you are a phenomenal attorney. Share your resources. You know somebody looking for a job? Oh, I know somebody who's looking for, you know, an associate. I don't I don't know why we feel the need to gatekeep, like, especially in law school. Oh, I don't want to share my supplement. I don't want to share my outline. Like, everything is on a curve, guys. And after we graduate, none of this even matters. Your clients do not care how you did in torts. They don't care about your LSAT score. They don't care. They don't even care if you pass the bar. People will ask you questions as a 1L, like legal questions. Like, they don't even, like... I don't like gatekeepers. <laughs> no, I totally agree. And I think women need and must help other women. And that's the only way that we're going to continue to rise and continue to change the uh, majority from being cis white men to be much more diverse, right? So we have to help each other. And I love that you added that in. Yeah, so thank yeah, you. I love that too. I'm, because I'm really proud of us women. We went yeah. from 33% to 36%. So, you know, we're increasing. The Black women have been less than 2% for quite some time now, but, you know, we are increasing. So I think we were 33% like 10 years ago and more recently 36%. Yeah. And I think just conversations like this, you know, just having them and people listening, like, can do so much too. Absolutely. You know? Because it can be like yes, that I one person, it. the one person that's like, you know what? Maybe I'll go to law school. Because, and they may have never thought they could have. No, absolutely. You know? And, and just never thought that there's someone out there that looks like me and has a similar story to me and they're a lawyer. Hmm. Maybe I'll be or one. Or they too. think that. Or they think that because they don't have the stats to get into an Ivy League that they can do it. Like, no, you. I'm trying to tell y'all. Y'all going to take the same bar as everybody else. Just go to the school that fits you. And what fits you is going to be so much beyond the LSAT score and the and the uh, UGPA median requirement. Oh, yeah, but everybody can find me. I'm Black Girls Do Law across everything. Instagram, TikTok. I'm an older, slightly older millennial, so I don't be talking like that, but I'm trying. <laughs> um, Facebook, there is. If you go to Black Girls Do Law Instagram and click on the link in the bio, there's a link to the BGDL Facebook group. We have a group me. Twitter is Black Girls Do Law. It's, it's the same for everything. The website is blackgirlsdolaw.com. And I, yeah, I think that's all my platforms. They keep, I swear, we got new social media platforms every week. I know, right? Can they buy your uh, merch on your website? Yes, okay, they can perfect. buy my merch. I've, I already have my new SCOTUS shirts already yes. <laughs> ready to go. Yes. So hopefully we can get her confirmed. Um, Amy is not up there, but the other ones are. <laughs> Um, but yes, all my merch, I'm going to start events. I'm even in the process of starting a nonprofit organization to help with LSAT fees and application fees. Do you know it costs like the average person spends a thousand dollars applying to law school? 
the bar prep, you guys were talking about not having money while studying. So like the bar prep stipends, like, um, so that's my biggest project right now is starting the nonprofit. I love that because we've talked about scholarships and just helping with, like we said, the gatekeeping and Mm -hmm. being able to help other women. And I think that women who have privilege and come from a more economically sound background have to help other women rise to the occasion. And, you know, I tell every woman out there, like, keep in mind whenever you look around you that not everyone looks like you, right? You want exactly. them to be a diverse environment. So, you know, I just think, like you said, the, having these conversations are so important and we really, really appreciate getting you on the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. But yes, yeah, save your money, guys. I think I think outside of law school stuff, like my financial insecurity was one of my biggest stress factors that contributed to my depression in law school. I am grateful because I have parents that I can call my mom and be like, hey, mom, I need, you know, $1,400 for rent. And I'm blessed and privileged enough that my mom can send that with like no problem. But everybody doesn't have that. So one of my other big tips for, you know, this the zero L's and the aspiring law school law students, please save your money. You can work during law school. We don't advise it, but save money for bar prep too. I feel like bar prep feels like it's so far away, but and then all of a sudden it, it's, you it know, just comes and you're like, yeah, what? yeah but you yeah. need, you need to make sure you have money saved up to cover all of your bills for May, June, and July if you don't want to work while you're taking it. And the cost of living and inflation right now, like, I try to tell them to, like, save, like, $50 a week, all three years. If you can just put aside, that is five Starbucks drinks, guys. Just put aside, get a Keurig, put aside five Starbucks drinks per week for the three years that you're in law school. And you should have enough to get you through bar prep, depending on your bills. Some great advice. That's great advice. I love it. I wish it. I would have taken that um, when I was yeah, a zero. So, but now, now we're, 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 just, we're giving all the zeros everything that we wish we would have known, you know? That's yeah, exactly. Do better is. than me. Do, exactly. do not struggle like me. I purposely do not check my credit score because I do not want to see that dip. Out of right. sight, out of mind. No. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Well, you guys, that's not the last you've heard of Destiny. We have already been in talks of having her on again because we had such a good time. We didn't want it to end. Clearly, you can see that this is one of the longer episodes that we've recorded in a while. But everything that she had to say was so good with her non-traditional path in the law and now starting black girls do law you know she's done something with her jd that isn't quite traditional but it just shows that there's a lot of different ways that you can use your degree yeah and we hope that you enjoyed getting to hear from her i know it's exciting whenever for me at least whenever we talk with different people behind really big instagram law accounts or law tiktoks and you know things like that, just to hear and put a face and a name with who runs these accounts and who, you know, is just behind it all. So we hope that you enjoyed chatting with Destiny and listening to what she had to say in her story as much as we did. Yes. And if you want to find more of her, all of her links will be in 
the show notes and hop on onto our Instagram and look at her post. She's tagged so you can go and give her some love there. And while you're at it, follow us on Instagram, of course. Go like our Facebook page and go um, try to get into our Facebook group. Like I said, if you don't answer all the questions, we can't accept you. So just PSA, because a lot of people still aren't doing that. But I mean, it's just answering some questions, guys. All right. As always, let us know if you want to hear anything specific. And we will talk to you guys again next week. All right. Bye. Bye.